were entering a realm between clandestine and forgotten, a slipstream caught between channels, the secret museum of mankind, the private library of shadows, all taking place on a stage forged from mystery and found only on a frequency caught between logic and myth. You were entering Paradox Theater. Tonight's episode, The Vast of Night. This week on Log It, we are here to discuss The Vast of Night. I believe this is episode 30. I am here with a very special guest, one of my favorite people to talk to movies with, my brother Josh. Hello. Josh, welcome to Log It. Thank you. (laughs) This is the first time I've had a family member on, obviously. So this will be interesting. You know me better than most people on the show. That's true. I couldn't expose you. Get you canceled. Keep it cool. (laughs) Be nice. Very excited to talk Vast of Night with you. You introduced me to this movie, and uh, you recommend a lot of really great stuff. It takes me a long time to watch it usually, but this this one is uh, really great, and I'm glad I watched it. I think I've shouted this movie out on the show already in the last four and shouted you out for it, so it's pretty fun to have you on to talk about it. But before we get into Vast of Night, Let's get into last four. I'll go first since this is your first time. I think this is your first time doing like a podcast too, right? Like you do audio oh, yeah. stuff, but this is, are you nervous? Yes. <laughs> good, 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 good. <laughs> I'm going to cut a lot of this. I'm, I'm also nervous. Okay. <laughs> Always fun having a new guest on to, to spark the nerves. Real quick, I'll go through my last four. I watched most last recently my fourth last was twin peaks fire walk with me i wanted to revisit this because me and becca had watched twin peaks to return and it made me want to go back uh so we watched that it's a very depressing movie it's very good but really sad uh a lot of sad stuff for characters you really like after what that i watched a movie that was recommended to me called ufo from 2018 it's got jillian anderson who's uh you know the x-files scully and it was a cool movie. I didn't love it, but funny enough, it reminded me of The Vast of Night, which I didn't intend to watch. There, That wasn't the reason I watched it, but we had already picked The Vast of Night, and I just couldn't help but see a lot of parallels. So it was kind of fun to watch. And it is it is interesting. That one's on, I think, YouTube Premium Movies. If you got that, you can watch it for free there. After that, I watched The Vast of Night. I loved it. This is my second or third time watching it, and it gets better every time. I'm very excited to talk about it. And after that, I watched Twin Peaks The Return again. I was actually watching that, you know, an episode or two a night uh, for the last week or so. But that one also gets better with the rewatches. I loved it and just think it's one of the best things in, I've watched in a minute. And I think we're going to be doing a future episode with Vlad and Angelo on that. So that should be a really fun one to dive into. That'll probably be quite an episode. Uh, and that's my last four. A lot of Twin Peaks, a lot of Aliens. Josh, what have you been watching? 
Let's see. So the last thing that I watched that's interesting, I just watched last night, was The Faculty. Oh, dude, I love that one. Yeah, it was really cool. I've heard about it a few times, but I just watched it for the first time last night. I really liked it. It was cool. I think that's the only thing I can think of with uh, Elijah Wood that I've watched besides Lord of the Rings. So that was cool. I think that's before Lord of the Rings that they filmed it. Probably. I think for sure it was. Yeah. Maybe like late 90s, 98, I want to say. Yeah, it came out in 1998. And the first one cool. was 1991, right? 1999? Yeah, it like came Rings. out 2000 even, maybe. So we're actually right before, closer than I would have thought. It's also a great Josh Hartnett role. Oh, 2001. Yes, yeah, it is. Um, it was Miss interesting him. seeing him. He looks a lot different than he does in Oppenheimer. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's right. Which, yeah. It didn't really register while I was watching Oppenheimer, which is, I guess, what everybody's saying. Everybody just really blended into the roles. Um, except for, in my opinion, Drake and Josh guy. Matt Damon. Oh, <laughs> no, yeah. Matt Damon. I thought Matt good. Damon stood out too. I didn't. No, I didn't mind Matt Damon. I th- I just really thought that what's his name, Josh. Josh Bell. No, that's or is Drake he the other Bell. one. Drake yeah. Bell. But Josh from yeah, I got you. Yeah, I just couldn't. Another great Josh. Not see him, and I didn't think. It, it, I didn't think he was acting poorly or anything. He took me out of the world, I guess. Yeah. I forget you. You still haven't finished it, right? No, I've watched the first half, and I need to finish okay. the second half. I'm not sure. Did you get to Casey Affleck? I don't think so. If I did, I don't remember. Okay. I think so I he was it. my my favorite performance in that. I do really like him in general. Yeah, he's good. I think uh, all the Afflecks are pretty good. Both. I agree. Is there another one? Ben, Casey, I don't think so. Not that okay. I know of. There could be. Maybe it's like the Wahlbergs, where I bet there's yeah. like two or three more who are a little uglier. <laughs> Same with the Baldwins. The East Coast really just has the the brothers, the acting brothers. Don't. They get those. Yeah. And they're all, they just get <laughs> uglier the less relevant they are. <laughs> you can rank them. Their, famous, their famousness and attractiveness is like perfectly synced. Exactly. <laughs> this is also a, a rare usher role oh yeah yeah i forgot that he was in that um, yeah it's kind of a cool cast that's uh and john stewart i forgot about john stewart john stewart was in it yeah and then who was the uh the t1000 is in it oh yeah name. as another great villain robert um, patrick or something yeah yeah i think you're right yeah, and this is directed by Robert Rodriguez, too, which is fun because he's turned mm-hmm. into such a awesome director. He's done so many cool movies. I feel like this is kind of like a, a underrated gem, but I do hear people talk about it. Oh, yeah, Selma Hayek was in it. And uh, that was the other one, Danny Masterson. That was the other guy I recognized from his... Uh... Oh. I don't even remember him being in this. He's one of the kids who uh, keeps trying to buy the magic dust from Josh Hartnett's <laughs> character. Yeah. Unfortunately, he's not. Uh, that, Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rest in peace. His uh, good person. This career. <laughs> his 
what else you been watching? Yeah, so I watched The Faculty, and then obviously I watched Stardust again. Nice. One of your favorites, I know. My very favorite, I would say. It's it's the best, literally. Becca also loves that one. It's just a great movie. It's just magical and fun. And it's one of my favorite directors, Matthew Vaughn. Um, yeah, I always forget it's him. It's crazy he's mm-hmm. gone on to do such like intense action, kind of edgy stuff. But Stardust is a pretty pure, like uplifting movie. Yeah, it is. But then also I was re-watching it and it's pretty gross and like <laughs> like yeah it's like it has all of the nasty fantasy stuff in it kind of like the grimm's fairy tale stuff you know there's a lot of murder and everything's just kind of green and muddy animal slaughter <laughs> also just one of the best robert de niro roles which is saying something but it's just such a different mm-hmm. vibe for him yeah it's a very very uh, lovable character yeah, he's a lot of fun. I think he's my favorite part of it. At least that now. Yeah. I need to rewatch it. Especially, I haven't rewatched it since you told me it was your favorite movie. So I think it'll bring a new, force me to look at it in a new light. Yeah, you should definitely rewatch it with that uh, with that in mind. It's it's really annoying. I was, um, I read, started looking at reviews for it because I was curious how it, how people liked it when it came out. And there was obviously a lot of really good reviews, but then I kept seeing people saying that it was unoriginal. And that was really annoying because it's not supposed to be original. It's supposed to be a f- like a fairy tale, like as classic of a fairy tale as you can tell. So obviously it's going to be about, you know. A... There's going to be familiar beats. Yeah. So that was kind of annoying. I would never say it was unoriginal because it does definitely has like a distinct feel to me. It does. And it's, you know, it's the stories written by Neil Gaiman. Um, I was going to say that that's uh, such one of my favorite writers. Mm-hmm. Which also, I guess, is where the sort of a lot of the darkness comes from. He does have. A... Yeah, he definitely has that, too. Mm-hmm. And then who's the lead in this one? Charlie Cox or Daredevil. Yeah, and also awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's the best. Peter O'Toole, Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer from Batman, Catwoman. We love mm-hmm. her. Listen to Batman Returns episode if you haven't. That's a good one. I just, um, I watched Fargo the other day. Nice. Another yeah. one you've been recommending to me for a long mm-hmm. time. Well, no, I guess I watched, I rewatched the the original movie. Uh, oh, nice! One of my seen. favorites. Oh yeah, I I think it's one of the best, maybe one of my favorite movies. It is. It's great. I think this show, this the newest season of the show, I think is uh, the most similar. I think they have the most nods to the movie in this new season. Hmm. It's kind of ironic because isn't the first season literally a retelling of the movie? Um, no, it's not. Oh, there you go. I, I think they, they set up the the main character to be very similar, but the actual plot is a lot different. Yeah, it's not the same story at all. Leg on my face. <laughs> yeah. Then I also recently rewatched Doctor Sleep. Ah, oh, another great one. Yeah, one of my other favorites. I think that's in the top ten. Along with Fargo and Sardust. I think we've talked about this, but Dr. Sleep is such a great sequel to The Shining because it mm-hmm. 
manages to like stay truthful to it, but also doesn't feel like it's trying to like imitate it or like trying too hard to be a good sequel to it. Like it still just goes and does its own thing, but a really great one. And Mike Flanagan, obviously mm-hmm. who did so many great things like haunting of Hill house and the devil on the Island. What is that one called? Oh, uh, midnight mass, midnight mass. That, yeah, one that one's rules. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dr. Sleep is a fun one. Mike Flanagan yeah, it is, is a fun director. And I think it's um sort of a perfect match him and Stephen King because yeah you can tell he's a fan of Stephen King I think they have the same idea of how horror should be yeah with a lot of heart and humanity I guess yeah it's usually much more of like a character driven thing with horror than just straight up a horror movie I think tonally he matches well too I also think I think we've talked about this too he's kind of Mike Flanagan in general is kind of like taken m night Shyamalan's horror tone and like continued it and maybe not exactly mm-hmm. but i feel like they fit a similar ballpark of really scary movies but also have scenes that can make you cry because of the like emotional impact like signs rings a bell like i feel like signs is very like mike flanagan definitely i think um they both really like to focus on family relationships especially yeah, that too. Very Spielberg in that way. Hmm. Well, that is a really great last four. Technically not, though, because you're not a Letterboxd user. No. Which I'm I debated not. whether or not to let you on the show, given that this is right. a Letterboxd show. But I figured, you know, we could be kind to others. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, I've never... Um, I think I have an account. I think I tried to use it at one point. I'm not sure why I didn't stick with it. I use an app called TV Time that I really like. We were talking about, I think it's a little bit different from Letterboxd. For one, I guess Letterboxd, you said, doesn't have TV shows on it. Much, not not many. Definitely not like guaranteed your show will be on it. Yeah, and then TV Time is more like a, I found it by searching for a TV guide. I was looking for a way to find out what shows were on without having to look through everything, every app. Yeah, it it seems like they can live in harmony, Letterboxd and TV Time, because it definitely feels like what you're telling me. It's it's very similar to Letterboxd, but for TV shows. Because do you do movies on TV Time as well, or can you? Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, well, maybe there is beef then. (laughs) (laughs) Letterboxd did roll out a similar feature recently where you can see movie times of shows of movies in theaters and when they're playing near you. So Mm -hmm. compatible in that way. Yeah. Then with TV time, it'll tell me, you know, when a show that I follow, when a new season's coming out or when a new trailer comes out for a movie or for a show, it'll say like, ah, geez, Fargo is starting in one hour. Which, um, nice stuff like that. Yeah. (laughs) Which is cool. Check out TV time, everybody, if you're interested in that. And Josh, check out Letterboxd. Uh, I might. Well, before we get into Vast of Night, I wanted to talk about one thing. I meant to do this at the beginning, but we'll do it now. Uh, I always ask people what their favorite movie snack is when they uh, first come on the show. So what's your favorite movie snack? Interesting. I guess if I'm at the theater, you know, I like to get the uh, Watermelon Sour Patch Kids. Ooh, good choice. I, yeah. I maybe somebody picked Sour Patch, but I don't know if it was watermelon, so that might be a first. 
Yeah, those are my favorite, I think. That and then also I like, you know, popcorn and whoppers. Yeah. But I definitely always get the watermelon yeah, sour patch. When you say popcorn and whoppers, are you talking combining them or are you saying separately? Separate. Okay, cool. I'm not against it. If I want to eat them together, I'll just put them in my mouth at the same time. (laughs) I like to leave the option for eating them separately. Yeah, I respect that. You're not pouring (laughs) them into the bag. You might be grabbing a handful of both. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's a good one. That's cool. What's your drink of choice? The well, I think this is a uh, something I got from you, but uh, Diet Coke with high C, or something like that. Oh, dude, whatever yeah. the the options allow. I like mixing a little bit of of juice in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> add a little sweetness, cut the carbonation a little bit. It's delicious. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is thank good. You for giving credit. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Um, and then if I am getting an icy or a slushy, I get the, uh, so I always do blue, blue raspberry. Yeah. Blue raspberry is my best. favorite flavor. I was really sad when I found out that it wasn't a real fruit. <laughs> <laughs> just, why not just do raspberry? I don't know, but it, it is more appealing. I have no interest in red raspberry flavor, but not blue raspberry, one of my favorite fa- flavors. And I don't know if it even tastes like regular raspberries. <laughs> I don't know either. It's probably just, just like blue flavored. Blue. Yeah, exactly. It's delicious. It's kind of sour <laughs> and sweet. It's hilarious. Well, cool. That was an awesome last four, a good warm up. So we will take a quick break and then get into Vast of Night. We are back to talk The Vast of Night 2019, directed by Andrew Patterson. This is an awesome slow burn UFO film. It stars Sierra McCormick and Jake Horowitz, which I don't really know them for much. Becca knew Sierra McCormick from things, but amazing performances from these guys that deserve a lot of credit and i hope they start getting more roles because they are really really good in this they carry the movie it really focuses around them there's a lot of supporting actors but uh these two are kind of dominate every scene and and do it very well this was an amazon prime release it didn't get a theatrical release because it was released right in that covid window when cinemas were shut down and no movies were showing so it went straight to streaming which is a shame because i feel like it really hurt its chances of, of like becoming a movie people talked about with and and told other people to watch you know it, it it's crazy how little attention this gets still. I think it is one mm. that is like extremely under the radar still. But you recommended this to me. The first time I watched it, I was a little bit uh, not skeptical, but I just wasn't convinced I was going to love it. I was worried about it becoming annoying, kind of, because there's so much dialogue. And uh, Jake Horowitz plays a radio jockey in a small town. I think he's in high school, and he's very 
kind of cool guy E. And I, I wasn't sure that was going to work, but it does. He's so good in it. Sierra McCormick plays a young high schooler as well. There's a bit of like um, chemistry between them romantically, but it's really more of a friendship uh, as far as we see. But she is a phone switch operator. She's also in high school. She does that during nights. This movie takes place on the night of a big basketball game. I think they're playing for the state championship. So most of the town is at this basketball game. It's 1950s New Mexico. And while she's working the phone switchboard, they get a weird signal. And that kind of kicks off the movie um, as far as the, the main plot goes. And so they together, he's a radio operator. So he's got kind of a foot in this. She's doing the phone switchboard. And so they kind of investigate this signal. And it goes a lot of really cool places. But yeah, there's some cool behind the scenes stuff. There's not a lot about this movie and not a lot of interviews. They like not a, really any behind the scenes stuff from what I can see, but I was able to pull some cool stuff together. But I think the main thing that really allows this movie to like work is the, the two leads, Jake Horowitz and Sierra McCormick. They do. Yeah. They're great. It didn't seem when I found it, I either saw a clip of the uh, the switchboard scene of yeah. uh, where the Sierra McCormick is patching in and out of all these calls. I either saw that on YouTube and that made me want to watch the movie or I was just looking for alien movies because I was in that mood for some mm-hmm. reason. Um, but anyways, I found the movie and I pretty immediately realized like, oh, this isn't just some, you know, straight to streaming like low budget thing that you see on Amazon a lot, you know? Yeah. The, uh, the acting was really good and the camera work was insanely mesmerizing. Um, just from that first scene they're in the, the basketball court during the basketball game, I think is where that starts. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of really long shots, you know, not a lot of cuts early on. And I just, I was just like, wow, this looks amazing. And these, actors are doing really well and uh everything just sounds cool the way everyone talks they really um put you in that time which i believe is yep. the 60s right Fifth, or actually i think it's like 48 technically oh wow all right cut that um according to an interview i read with uh, <laughs> andrew patterson yeah definitely cut that out um <laughs> i mean i thought it was the 50s and i keep saying that's that. closer at least yeah, everybody talks in a cool way. You know, they're in like a small town in the 40s, 1948, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I read. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to leave all that in now. It's too funny. Um, yeah, it's just um, immediately grabs your attention and doesn't let you look away just because following the character around and everybody's uh, it's something they do a lot in this actually. I think is with the the dialogue everybody talks really fast and cuts each other off there's a lot of urgency yeah Yeah. that first scene it's almost like you're watching like birdman or something the way everybody's Mm, i can see that you know it's like the yeah it's hard to explain everything's just happening around you there's a lot of long tracking shots and i think the opening one is more focused on the jake horowitz character whose name is everett 
so it's big night of the game and he's kind of walking around town just talking to people he's one of those guys that kind of knows everybody and everybody kind of likes it seems as he's walking he's just kind of having all these quick interactions with different people in the town and you get a sense of uh what kind of town it is it's a really great job of establishing the setting and establishing the lead characters as well and kind of establishes the fact that the pacing of this movie is going to be unique i think there's a lot of really interesting stuff with the pacing but eventually in that opening shot he runs into sierra mccormick and you can tell immediately that they have really great chemistry both the actors but also the two characters are just kind of similar people and she has a tape recorder that she is really excited about and since he's the radio guy she wants him to show her how to use it and so throughout that scene he's kind of teaching her about her tape recorder and getting her kind of pushing her out of her comfort zone to go talk to people it's not really broken. Mr. Stemmons is just a nowhere man. He's a full-on pale one. We gotta get out of that conversation. Well, it's not really broken? No, you can't waste state fate. Not on a tombstone like Mr. Stemmons. Double-dealing devil dog. You had me so scared. You know I paid for that with my own money. Yeah, you can always do that to someone. If someone's a wet rag, you just tell them. Oh, I'm sorry it's broken. We'll have to reschedule, and then you just never reschedule. Well, I can't do that to someone. Well, yeah, you can. Why not? I'm lying. Nah, it's not lying. It's stopping someone from embarrassing themselves. Well, if you don't make them feel embarrassed. <laughs> putting up the numbers means you got to get what you want out of people, not be afraid to cut them off and tell them to shut well, up. I'm not putting up any numbers. One part I really like about that, it really establishes that his his character is somebody who's like, do things and then like learn as you go. Like, don't overthink it. And she's definitely an overthinker. So it creates a nice balance between the two of them that'll play out in a really interesting way throughout the movie. Yeah, let's you know a lot about the town. Like you said, it's you can see it's a sort of a small town, and um, everybody knows each other. And um, he's also very charming. Yes, I don't know. It's just interesting to see that. You mentioned the switchboard scene in the middle that you saw. I think that's the scene when I was first watching it, where I was really. I really bought into the movie, if that makes sense, because the performance that Sierra McCormick gives her character's name is Faye is really incredible. And for me, it was a tech, the technical side of the phone uh, phone switchboard. I have no idea what it was, but you can tell she's like extremely practiced at it. And I was really impressed. It's a, it's, I think like a five to 10 minute scene of her on the switchboard and she's, you know, answering all these calls and connecting people. And this is when she first picks up the sound and you can just tell that she knew what she was doing and that it was, had like really, really practiced. Just call him. I don't want to disturb him while he's on the air. Don't be shy with him. He doesn't care if you call him. Ethel? Ethel? I tried the Van Orton's, but they're at the game. I'm afraid everyone's at the game right now. What was your favorite part of the movie? 
it could be the sort of the you know what do they call it the radio play type scene where they get the call in with the i think he said his name was billy i think that would be my favorite part that's a really cool one too because that's where they literally when for two i think two large portions of billy talking the screen just goes black it wasn't military from any country it was coming from thousands of feet higher than anything could fly how did he know that because it was a radar operator so are these signals frequent no i'm assuming this is before sputnik this was years before sputnik and signals like yours have been caught going back and forth what do you mean like communication like one says something over here in this part of the sky and another says something back you mentioned the switchboard scene in the middle that you saw i think that's the scene when i was first watching it where i was really i really bought into the movie if that makes sense because the performance that sierra mccormick gives her character's name is faye is really incredible and the technical side of the phone you can tell she's like extremely practiced at it and i was really impressed it's a it's i think like a five to ten minute scene of her on the switchboard and she's you know answering all these calls and connecting people and this is when she first picks up the sound and you can just tell that she knew what she was doing and that it was had like really really practiced and in researching the film i did read that she would watch i think it was in an interview with her actually she would watch youtube videos and she i think she like bought a switchboard or they were they let her practice with the one they had for the production but she would just watch videos of people doing it on youtube and repeat them and she mentioned that there was like a flick of the wrist that they had that she really wanted to catch but it's it's really a crazy technical scene and there's no not a lot of editing in it i don't think there's a single cut so everything she did she did in one take it wasn't like they pieced it together and it's really incredible and just like sucks you into the movie well let's talk about some uh some about the making of the movie there was some cool stuff that i i read that i i thought was kind of interesting but uh apparently so Andrew Patterson is the director of this. He's not credited as the editor or the writer, but he did edit and write the film as well. I think he used a, a pseudonym. Uh, James Montague was his pen name. And he actually funded this movie all himself. I think the total budget was about $600,000. He um, was a commercial director for the Oklahoma City Thunder, a basketball team in the NBA and use the money he saved that money to make this film he said he did that because he didn't like he just had this vision and he didn't want people over his shoulder kind of double checking his work and i think it paid off because it's a really unique film and i could see a lot of the decisions he made being like not liked by somebody who's given him lots of money yeah especially i i I could see you know somebody else watching you know over your shoulder not being sure about the all the scenes where it's just mostly talking and storytelling where the viewer has to use their imaginations more. Yeah. Like, like that scene you mentioned in the middle where he's doing the interview with Billy and this scene is kind of like giving, uh, and it starts, starts the real dive into what's happening with the sound because 
what ends up happening is they play the sound that she picked up on a telephone line on the radio and ask people to call in if they know anything about it. And they do get a call from a guy who's in the military and he claims he heard that sound while he was working on a strange secret mission in the military. He gives them a lead on another person who might know about this sound. But one night he finally got one and recorded it. And then he made copies and mailed them to a bunch of us, guys who had been uh, around some of these hidden details. So do you still have that tape? No. I didn't want to be caught with it, so I burned it. But one of the other guys, another Air Force gentleman who had been on one of these security details and heard these noises too, and he lives in Cayuga, so he got sent a tape just like mine, and that's what I Wait, thought you so were playing There's tonight. one in Cayuga with who? Raymond Buck, an ex-Air Force gentleman. So he was mailed to tape with one of these signals on. And that kind of gets them out of their offices and out into the streets where the second half of the movie really takes place. But but in that scene I mentioned earlier, the screen goes black twice, like literally no image on the screen for minutes at a time. And that I just feel like instinctually as somebody making a movie would be a big no-no to just like uh you know it's a visual medium but i think it's like one of the one of the coolest scenes in the movie like you picked it as your favorite so clearly there's something when i went to rewatch this i was a little confused at some parts because i was waiting for a scene that i remembered but then i realized it was just you know something i imagined from the way he was telling his story um for somebody that remembered visuals that uh, weren't there yeah, that's crazy. And they're pretty specific, you know. I was like, oh, yeah. I could have sworn there was this scene where I this with this image, uh, but no, there wasn't. It was just something that I, that I uh, imagined the first time I watched it from when he was telling his story. Yeah, and I, I same for me. Like I can picture the guy. I can picture Billy, and I kind of did think there would be at least a shot of him at some point, and there there wasn't. Mm-hmm. I think it's just like a really effective storytelling thing because like this time especially, I really tried to embrace that moment and what they were trying to do. So I like closed my eyes and really focused on what he was saying and like trying to, I don't know, it just created a really cool sense of story that you don't get often in film because again, there's always visuals to complement what you're seeing. So it takes like the heavy load off of imagination and like bringing that, but this really forces you to get that like engine running and to force you to start to like picture things and to imagine what's happening. And I think that helps the rest of the movie too. Cause it, it, there's not a lot of like, I could see somebody not liking this cause it's an alien movie, but you don't get a lot of alien action until the very end. Most of it is implied or through what people are telling you or noises. And so you really, are are in a position it's really a movie where your imagination does most of the driving but i think that's a good thing we, we mentioned m night and i think that's something he did really well as well where like signs you don't see the aliens much at all till the very end of the movie you know the village similar you know you can argue the effectiveness of that movie but yeah it's definitely um not something you get often i think i don't know if i can think of another example of something like that off the top of my head you know i'd say like maybe 10 or 15 minutes of this movie is just people telling stories 
you know, there's yeah. you there are some scenes or some parts of that where it focuses on the actors and you see, you know, them listening, but a lot of it yeah. the screen is just either blank or it's just focusing on certain object or something like that. I don't remember exactly, but just almost nothing going on on screen while the story giving a huge plot development, you know, you're learning what's happening and what happened and why, you know, where these signals are coming from. And it's interesting. Also, it takes a while for the, the main characters to actually accept what's happening. So you still don't think something's going on? I think if anything's happening, it's that we're being spied on or we're about to be invaded. By who? Soviets. You don't think so? 100%, absolutely. And this is exactly where they come into, southern border. You know, they go on later. Eventually, they meet the woman. Um, I forget her name. Mabel, I think. Does that sound right? Probably. Something <laughs> like that. Some... Yeah, old name. Um, <laughs> but I think I'm probably talking about that too early. So let's go back. There's uh, there's Billy, and he's telling his story of how he and several other guys were contracted to. What were they doing again? They there there were the ships, and were they they were burying them or something like that? Yeah, they were burying it. You're right. And that's where he heard the sound, and then they, yeah, delivered a truck, I think, that had some mysterious cargo, and that's where they heard, he heard the sound again. And he thinks it's aliens. Or as this movie refers to them, people in the sky. Right, yeah. I don't think um, they ever say alien one time in this. They don't. I did notice that, yeah. They say, Which I they thought was kind of cool. People in the sky. I wonder when the word alien became sort of that. Oh, good question. Something that was uh, common for people to say when they're referring to extraterrestrials. So it looks like it's around, been around for the since the 1800s, but I'm not sure if it's been used as a right. extraterrestrial alien since then. But it did yeah. spike in like the, let's see, in 1920, there was a big spike. 1920, okay. Like from the 1900s to 1920, and then it peaked in 2000 actually for usage. Interesting. Funny enough. But yeah, you were saying, so they, they, they talk to Billy and they get this kind of confirmation that the noise is something military and that possibly it's from the people in the sky. And then mm -hmm. he mentions that there is another guy in the town they're in who received a recording of this because one of the guys recorded it and sent it out to everybody. And so then they, they're trying to go find the recording to verify that the first, you know, to connect, verify his story is the big point. Exactly. Because like an, another thing I love about this is Everett, Jake Horowitz's character is very, very by the book. Like he's really good at his job. He's a true journalist. Yeah. <laughs> he, um, he's constantly concerned that he's like, well, we can't, we can't lie. There's no way for me to know if this is true. <laughs> he's like, he keeps asking the guy, he's like, before I put you back on air, like, Yes. Like, can you confirm this for me so I'm not, you know, lying to my listeners? Okay, then I can't put you back on the air. I, I would like to, but there's a, a breach of ethics here because I have no way of knowing if what you're saying is true. I know. I understand. I don't mean to put you in a place that would get you in well, you know, problem. Billy, I have to ask, why are you telling us all this? Am I just going to get us in trouble? I suppose I'm telling you because I'm sick. 
and I'm old, and no one listens to us. Yeah, it was very likable uh, character trait for him. You know, he's dedicated to the truth. Kind of contrary, the way they introduce him as the cool guy, you almost expect him to be more like, we're going to do whatever we want, and like they can get us in trouble if they want, which he kind of does, but again, by the book. Mm-hmm. I also love when he tells him uh, no bad language or like bad right. content. It's there's something so like sweet, especially like in our age where just everybody wants to to like troll people that they just had this like spoken agreement. And I need to tell you first, we don't allow any swear words or, or inappropriate stories on the air. Or I could lose my job, and I don't have a delay here, and I want to put you right through onto the air. But I need you to promise me that we're safe in doing so. Of course, I understand. Uh, I don't swear or talk like that. Okay, I'm breaking the rules to do this, so please, you know, be honest to me. Maybe ask me if you think something needs to be discussed off the air, and I'll go to a break and put on a record, all right? Okay, I can do that. And then from there, several points they play this uh, that sound over their radio to see if listeners can call in again. And I think the second time they play it, once they, they get the recording from where Billy said there was a recording left, they realize that they do have access to it because... The guy who had it died, but his wife donated all of their tapes to the library of the school. Um, so they go and they run to the school. That that reminds me of another thing I really like about this mm-hmm. is how um, they really make the town feel really small. Because they go yes. back and forth everywhere and just on foot. It's really funny. The girl will just, he's just like, all right, go, Faye. And she just gets up and starts running. And she's <laughs> all of a sudden, you know, she's at the school library and she's back with the tapes. Yeah. And that happens a few times throughout the movie. And even when they have a car, she'll just start running somewhere <laughs> and he'll have to go find her in the car and pick her up. Um, but she really just gets all over the town on foot, just running around. She just, I guess it's just because, <laughs> I don't know. I just thought that was really funny throughout the whole movie. She's just running around everywhere. Yeah. And there's a great line where she starts, he's like, we need to get here we need to go to this, this place. And she's like, okay. And then she starts running and he's like, Faye, what are you doing? And he chases her down with the car. And he's like, why are you running? We got a car. And she's like, I don't know. I don't have a car. I don't drive. I just walk places. And so yeah. just like her instinct is just to take off running. I think like two or three times in the second half, mm-hmm. he has to pick her up. Cause she just started running before he could get in the car. Yeah. <laughs> Gone that long. Why are you always running down the street? We just because drove I don't have here. a car. I never ride in cars. I just walk everywhere. All right, I'll sweat. I also I also want to say on that what what you brought up. Part of this movie we talked about is they do a lot of really long tracking shots, and like there's even one cool shot where the camera moves independently. It's not following anybody, mm-hmm. but goes through the whole town. It goes from phase switchboard to the high school gym and shows the basketball game in while they're playing. And then from the basketball gym to the radio station, wherever it is all in one take. And it also is really cool because it creates, uh, it gives you a good sense of the geography of the town Mm -hmm. and makes it feel very like real. Like you don't feel like these are disconnected sets, but you really feel like all of this is happening in one night at the same time. And I, it really, creates like a like really grounds you in the film yeah definitely so then they get to the lady you were saying too how all the conversations or, or a lot of this movie is just people telling stories I, the the scene so the they get the billy story which is awesome 
and then they go to Mabel's house. She also has something that can verify the story. And she tells her experience of her child being abducted, which is a really sad story. They took my son. And no one has ever believed me. Was there an investigation? Of course. The whole thing turned to an investigation of me. People were convinced that my son had ruined my life. So I killed him. And before that... Yeah. I guess, actually, I think I should say this is my favorite moment in the movie. They get the tape with the recording of the the alien sound on it and they start playing it back out to the radio station. They're saying, here's another sound. Do any of you recognize this? And then just the lights shut off. And that's when you realize, um, or maybe when they realize that they're being listened to, that someone's paying attention and someone has, yeah, I just really love that part. It was, uh, sort of unexpected and it was just scary. I think. And I wondered, so there's instances of like power going out throughout the town and like multiple calls get dropped for no reason. Mm -hmm. I was wondering, does that mean the aliens are over him at that moment? Hmm. Or like nearby, at least like, is that why the phone lines are going out too? Cause the aliens are like disrupting. Most likely. Well, cause we, we do find out in the end that the aliens, I think before pretty early on in the movie or before we even start start the movie that they had decided that that these were the people they were going to abduct oh interesting yes because the lady says that they like to mess around and they like to orchestrate things crazy so this night you know well they they knew who wasn't gonna be at the basketball game okay Cause that's, she was saying they like to wait till there's these big events so that they can come out without too many people being able to see them. And they like to get people alone. I think they stay away from big cities. I think they wait for people to get together in one place like tonight. And when everyone gets out of that game, they're going to be gone. I think they like people alone. And I think they talk to people with some kind of advanced radio in their sleep. Right, like you think they did with your son. I didn't just think this up. So I'm guessing I'd have to watch it again with this in mind, but I'm guessing that whatever uh, technical problems they were having would lead to isolating these people and getting them outside and into the woods. Interesting. Uh, that does add up because they do run into the people who are being mind controlled, which is another terrifying scene. Yep. You know, that actually is, that might be my favorite part. That one's so good, dude. And that sets off the, the finale. So like that kind of just carries into the awesome finale, which I guess we should explain that. So they go to Mabel's house. She is whispering these weird, this weird language, kind of gibberish sounding like poem almost when they come in and she kind of just brushes it off at the beginning. But she explains her kid who was kidnapped was muttering those words in his sleep. So she wrote them down. And one time when she said them to him while he was awake and it kind of put him into this trance where he closed his eyes and his head went all the way back facing the sky. 
And so then when they're leaving, they get really freaked out by her because she wants them to take her to the ship because she wants to go find her son. And so she's hope she wants to get abducted at that point. And so they're and like, she knows right. she knows that they're going to be abducted. Yes. Yes. She implies that that's like their destiny, which is so terrifying, too. And I I didn't feel it as much this time, but I always wonder if she's somehow part of the aliens or like involved with them but maybe it's just her intimate knowledge of everything yeah that's what i'd say but she did the i forget how do her son is an alien right so i i wasn't quite sure i thought half alien i thought what it was is those are the ones that they have like controlled but what what does she talk about there is something Mm. weird about the way he was brought to life like the way she got impregnated is that true yes oh i can't quite remember what she says Hmm. well so she was young and then she met this guy from out of town i think right Uh, okay and he was he's working on the railway or something like that but there is there is a thing where she says she's like oh i was young and i i didn't i didn't even know that's how you made a baby and now i'm wondering if she still doesn't know interesting if, if there was so maybe he, conventional experience. yeah maybe it was something that you know the guy was under the was an alien or was being controlled by aliens or something and it was uh um, there something else you know yeah that'd be interesting there's definitely some mysteries where i could re it'd be fun to rewatch, like you were saying and look for clues to other things because it, it it's a very like layered story like even watching this time i feel like things stood out to me that i i didn't really catch the first time yeah i, I definitely there's some there's certain people who have some sort of connection to the aliens or the aliens have some sort of control over like i i thought it was like drones or something where they could like kind of uh, brainwash people without them even knowing so there's this couple who saw something in the sky and they were kind of joining in the fun with uh Faye and everett and then they run to them again and they're like hey there's something we saw outside of town get in the car come with us and so they jump in the car and go with them before they even think about it and then the people are just acting like pretty strange they're real spacey and they're being real like obtuse about certain things and so then Everett luckily picked up a recording of the words and he starts to play that back for them to hear it. And then they close their eyes, look up at the sky, which this one might be. I don't even want to talk spoilers. I, I don't even know because it's such a mm. cool. I almost don't want to give it away, but it becomes clear that they are, you know, also under the influence of these aliens or, or uh, people in the sky, as they say. So they jump jump out of the car and run off into the woods, which at that point, I feel like Faye is just kind of lost it a little bit. Not lost it, but she's definitely not thinking straight because it wasn't a very smart decision. I don't know what else she could have done. I mean, ran on the road back towards town, I guess, is what I would say. Yeah, maybe that makes more sense. Instead of straight into, into the woods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But she's just getting away. It makes it does make sense. It doesn't feel wrong because she's oh, just running straight away from yeah. those people, and the and then they almost crash. Now that we're at this position, I think we should bring up the fact that um, we forgot to mention that at one point Faye brings a baby. Yeah, she picks up her a, little sister, little baby child. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, Which is decides really to bring interesting. that. Interesting. And and so I'm I'm 
I feel like I feel like the aliens knew that that was a possibility. You know what I mean? I think they wanted like a, a baby to experiment on. Um, I wonder. It, uh, like I, I almost wonder if they wanted because there's like I said, there's actually there's kind of hints of them uh, having like romantic feelings for each other like definitely Faye seems to have a little bit of a crush on everett Mm because like multiple times people are like oh the boy from the radio go talk to him you know don't be afraid to call him and i i i don't think their age difference is that different because she says she's 16 and i think he's still in high school probably like a senior so he's got to be like 17 18 but yeah i wondered if there was a little bit of wanting like a family Cause like the final image of them before they get abducted, which is a great scene is the three of them together kind of posed like a family, mm-hmm. even though they're not technically a family. But I wonder if the, the, the aliens wanted some sort of like default family template unit. for a family. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Cause the baby part was, does stand out to me as like, man, give the baby to somebody don't take it with you Mm -hmm. chasing aliens i yeah again i'll have to try and rewatch it and see what leads to her going and feeling like she needs to bring the baby with her instead of just leaving it at home her friend is supposed to be watching it and she calls her and she's not there. So she goes and picks it up because she thinks something might've happened to her, but there but was they were on the somebody roof. else at the house. Yeah. Well, they go to a second house to get a camera. Oh, that was a different house. Friend. So the baby was yeah. alone. The baby was okay. alone in the first house, but then they find out that it was just because they, the two people watching it were watching her were on the roof because they saw an alien. They saw oh, a, okay. a UFO. But I guess at that point, she was just too scared and didn't trust. Like, I could see after that scare, you just don't trust people. Yeah. Like, that kind of does make sense to me. Chasing a UFO. It, yes. I don't <laughs> think she should have. I mean, clearly, no. the, the baby got abducted. Yep. <laughs> so it was the wrong choice. <laughs> and then I guess the last thing that the movie leaves with you to use your imagination is uh, what happened to them. Do you think they, you know, got dissected and probed or are they nice aliens what do you think with uh what happened what what, in your imagination where are they well so the whole movie approaches i'll say what i can tell from context the whole movie approaches the aliens as very like ethereal and very like uh full of like wonder and mystery and not a lot there are some scary scenes but rarely does it feel like malevolent so i like to think it's got a bit of like the scary the scary stuff is like what is unknown Uh, so i think there's a little bit of like a close encounters i see it as a close encounters thing where they're kind Mm -hmm. of outsiders who are now able to get out of this world that they don't really fit into because both of them imply that they're kind of stuck in this town and that they don't want to be Everett talks about how he wants to get a better job at a radio station uh, on the West Coast because that's where radio's happening. Maybe the East Coast, uh, but one of the one of the major coast areas. And then Faye talks about how she is not able to go to college and she has to wait for her sister to get old enough because she doesn't feel like she can leave them. There's a bit of an implication that the mom isn't super involved with her kids. 
because mm-hmm. like the mom is working nights that night that's why the friend was watching the baby and so i feel like there's a little bit of maybe this is just me but i do think it's an ending where it's meant to be your interpretation so mine is that it's like close encounters where they're getting a chance to go get out of this town and like go experience things that other people aren't chosen for like it's a gift kind of interesting what about you i definitely the the first time i watched it i assumed that they were not enjoying their future (laughs) i thought it was supposed to be kind of a depressing ending like a twilight zone you know yeah i feel like oftentimes those didn't end well and maybe what frames it for me as positive is the music at the ending because the music is mm-hmm. very like mysterious but like uh, beautiful again full of, like wonder and yeah beauty where to me it, uh, it's like kind of like the universe is in a scary place because again like there are scary scenes but there's no hint that the aliens are dangerous i guess they did steal that kid from his mom and like ruined her life because she talks about how everybody thought she killed the kid right so in that way it's not nice but that that to me is almost like collateral damage where the aliens don't care about our feelings but they do i don't know i don't know what but maybe maybe the music more than anything frames it as a positive like thing or at least like a neutral thing not bad maybe they're gonna start like a new planet because I, I did notice, too, I was thinking about Adam and Eve with them a lot for some reason. And then I was like, you know, his name is Everett, which is Eve. And then Faye. Faye Adam. Yeah, that works. <laughs> Beat him. It's a, that one's a big stretch. I don't I don't I won't stand by that. But I, th- I did think it was interesting because the Adam Whoa. and Eve thing came to me before I thought about Everett being a like kind of a male Eve. Mm hmm. Um, no, I did think when earlier, just when we were talking about this, I did think that there could be sort of an Adam and Eve thing. Maybe the aliens are, yeah, starting a new, an, an experiment where they have a new uh, human planet or something like that. Yes, maybe. Because they did want, yeah, they did get the a two young of the same gender. Yeah, and it's it's like a little family unit, unit kind of um I guess if I was going to look for evidence of a negative, I think the military involvement with the aliens does make me feel like it is a bad thing. Like there's something about the way he talks about how they were like transporting the ship or burying it, that maybe the military has some sort of deal with the aliens and it is some sort of human psyop. Yeah. Harvesting something. I don't know. Yeah. Well, also, the two billy the caller said that he was sick and old and then the other guy died and you wonder if it was some sort of exposure to yeah the ships i don't like radiation or whatever sort of energy the ships use yeah yeah because he talks about how he was very healthy but got sick right after that job Mm -hmm. billy does yeah then the other guy died which he wasn't surprised about even then, that doesn't necessarily mean the aliens are bad, but it does. It is. Um, it could, could be, be evidence. evidence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It could just be collateral damage, though, where their ships it, yeah. happened. You know, they're not intending that. One thing about this movie I thought was really cool and something I still 
wonder about this is framed as a television show so the introduction mm-hmm. is we're watching it on a small old tv it's black and white and fuzzy where it's presented as an episode of a tv show called the paradox theater which is pretty pretty directly um supposed to be like a twilight zone you know replacement and but multiple times i think in the middle of the film maybe once or twice they kind of zoom out from the movie and go back to watching it through a tv screen there's a scene where Faye is running around and it sort of zooms out and the goes into a smaller screen with the and it's like got a blue tint and you know it looks like you're watching it on the old tv yeah it goes black and white i think yeah sort of scratchy yeah it's cool which i thought was another thing that was really cool and and added uh, i don't know they're like this movie really creates the sense to like while it's very believable that it's all happening kind of on a, a stage and and creates an interesting like feeling like one thing the director talked about <clears throat> was how he wanted it i mean i just said this but he wanted it to feel like it was on a stage like the houses aren't accurate to what the setting is and he mentioned that specifically and he was like i know but like there's a lot of old movies like hitchcock the the film the houses aren't accurate to the setting and you it's because it was filmed on a stage and it's um there's a certain look that all these movies had because they were all filmed on the same stages and he kind of wanted that feeling for the movie like that they had to recycle things and use the same thing which i thought was interesting because he he also did a lot of stuff to really give it like authentic period piece feel like one really cool thing the street lights they did they didn't use any of the street lights for like uh easy lighting in the movie because the new street lights are a different color they use sodium vapor which is orange and uh, i guess back in that time street lights would have been mercury vapor uh, which is closer to what you see in the movie which i think is a little bit more like bluish bluish yellow kind of look but they specifically were like really intent on on hitting certain looks like that, which I thought hmm. was really cool. And also with uh, making it, you know, feel like you're in that time, you can tell the actors. Uh, we You said a little bit about this uh, with the switchboard, how she was so like practice at it. But then there's also the scene yeah. where Everett is uh, switching the tapes. Like it looks like he knows what you oh, know, he knows what he's doing. He's yes. doing it really fast. It's when they have all the tapes from the library, right? Yeah, and he just keeps flipping one through of them. them. Si- yeah, dude, I love that part. Yeah, so like put it on and pull the tape around and like flip it and, you know, just doing all these cool little things and it must have taken a while for him to practice that, I think. Helps a lot putting you in the, the time. I think the, the technology is a huge part of this movie, seeing as most of it takes place over the radio. I know what you're looking for. I don't. Could he record it over it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately. So, I did, and... We've talked a lot about how this movie is really based on, like, dialogue and storytelling and... and words over visuals one interesting thing i read in an interview with patterson was he mentioned that some people have said or might say that this would be better as like a play or a like 
a teleplay or like a, a radio drama and he was saying how he thought that was like a compliment and like one of the goals of this was like there's a there was an era in the 50s where a lot of movies were made into radio dramas after the fact like he specifically mentioned the third man another one is like war of the worlds which i think started as a radio drama and that one's like infamous because people thought it was a real event happening i actually think there's a reference to war of the worlds the radio station in this is wotw which i'm convinced is uh, supposed to be a little nod to war of the worlds mm -hmm. but he kind of wanted that feel where it could serve it could be a movie it could be like a non-visual medium um and that that was like kind of the goal so I, I just thought that was really cool and executed well uh, it'd be really interesting uh instead of watching it again try and uh, listen to it or something like that see how that works i honestly think it'd be pretty fun because the sound design's awesome the music is really good there's not a lot of music but it's amazing when mm -hmm. it is used it really, is really good really yeah. great soundtrack and that soundtrack was by Eric Alexander and Jared Bulmer. So shout out those guys. Good job, guys. <laughs> no, but yeah, it is. It is really beautiful. Um, I've listened to the main theme, um, or maybe not the main theme, but uh, yeah, it's the main theme. The song that plays during the abduction um, a lot yeah, the since I've watched the movie for the first time. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. I uh, it's only like a minute, or the version I found on YouTube is only like a minute thirty. So right. I'll just listen to it over and over. It's not on Spotify. Yeah, yeah there, and even the version on YouTube is just like a random one. I don't Cut. think the soundtrack got released anywhere. It's, it's a shame. It really is. I would love. Is this movie on Blu-ray or anything? I don't think so, actually. Like, I think it's just like I think it really got ripped off. off. Yeah, <laughs> with its release, honestly. It's Let's see. A shame. Yeah, I guess I didn't think about would it have been different had it not been for COVID. Do you think it would have been in theaters or anything like that? Yeah, I think it would have interesting so this premiered at slam dance again this was funded fully by andrew patterson he got it into slam dance himself but then at slam dance steven soderbergh saw it and kind of took him under his wing so to speak it sounds like they had coffee together and according to soderbergh he saw the movie and was like oh this guy's like got it you know like he he really felt like there was a lot there so i bet i mean with that kind of support i think it would have gotten full distribution or at least like indie full distribution i don't know if it would have helped that much like it's not like a flashy movie or like i i can see why most people might not like be able to get into it but i can't help but think the more people see it the better it would have done i think yeah i wish i wish it had gotten all the uh all the credit it deserves there was a couple movies i saw the director mentioned in multiple interviews as inspiration uh all the president's men which is a is a really cool movie and very much like uh based on like dialogue and like building tension without you know direct conflict and then one of my favorites zodiac which i i really agree with because technology and communication and people like phone calls and stuff are a big part of zodiac as well it's the, the similar vibe 
And specifically, he mentioned Zodiac's phone call in the middle when the Zodiac calls the TV show and speaks to the psychiatrist as kind of the inspiration for the phone call with Billy in this one, where the movie kind of stops for five to ten minutes for for a phone call. I thought that was cool because I, I love Zodiac. Uh, and I wouldn't have thought of that as a reference until he mentioned it, but now I can totally see it. Zodiac. Have you seen Zodiac? I do. I have. I love that movie. I'm just not... Cool. S- what What makes you... Like, what are the similarities you see? Specifically that phone call, but then also just how so much of the plot is moved forward by Toshki and his partner making phone calls to the other police departments mm-hmm. and to different witnesses. And just like so much of it being like the story developing through phone calls and the information shared on phone calls uh, specifically. That's what I would say. Yeah, Not no, totally that- the same. No, I, I definitely see that now. Yeah. And then also just being like great period pieces where it's just like just a really great atmosphere of being in a different time and place. I think they both kind of nail just like a slow burn, like really great tension building. Like even now that we're talking about it, the scene where he talks to Mabel and she gets kind of creepy and weird is similar to the scene where Jake Gyllenhaal just runs off to go talk to the theater guy and look at the posters with the handwritten. Mm-hmm. And he's in the basement. Yeah. And they're kind of like just in such a rush and so excited to away. solve this mystery. Yes. Where they get yeah. themselves in this situation where they're like, you know what? Maybe this wasn't like a very good idea. Totally. To do this. Yeah. That's very similar scenes actually. For a long time, I've been very interested in this director's next movie. Because mm-hmm. I, uh, again, there's a lot of great movies, but this one really stands out as far as like for a first film, for like a low budget film, like $600,000 isn't a lot, especially for a period piece. How far they take that money is really incredible. I did find he does have another movie in the works now. There hasn't been anything since Vast of Night, but his next one is called Rivals of Amziah King. It's going to be set in Oklahoma, which is where he filmed Vast of Night, and I'm pretty sure he lives and maybe is from, which I think is cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's pretty crazy, the cast, pretty big jump. According to uh, IMDb and a few articles I found, the lead is supposed to be Matthew McConaughey, which is, you know, love him or hate him, a big pull. And then in addition to that, uh, per IMDb, Meryl Streep and Kurt Russell are also supposed to be in it. So I'm very interested in that. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I hope that happens soon. No idea what it'll be about, but it's a very interesting name. Yeah, I'm, I have always, yeah, ever since I saw this back when it first came out, I believe. Yeah, I've just been really excited. I've been wondering, you know. I assumed, you know, by now he had he would have done something else or he had already done something before this. Um, but, yeah, no, there's nothing. So I'm glad that there's um, some news about him because I'd love to see more from him. Yeah. Yeah, me too. It's one I'll be very, like, uh, he will be one of my most, like, look forward to directors maybe is the best way to say it so hopefully we hear more about that i'm always worried when i see articles like that i think the article i saw was in like may so it's relatively recent but 
I, I hope it's in the world of the Paradox Theater because the setup with Paradox Theater, I really wanted, I was really wondering if the, he was going to do a series of movies set as like Twilight Zone episodes of his Twilight Zone. And I still hope that is something that comes to like fruition because I would love to see another episode from Paradox Theater. That would be great. Yeah. I think it'd be cool to see him do more like low, slow burn, like low key horror movies because this one was so good. This also was based on a couple real life alien story event, historical events. So there was like two specifically that it that it mentioned that were mentioned as inspiration. There's one called the Kecksburg event where there was like um, similar to it kind of inspired the radio side of this. Yeah, there was a local radio host who tried to investigate on the night of the fireball, and he was putting together an audio documentary and news stories, interviewing locals about what they saw, and then some men showed up, apparently, and took away all of his tapes about it. Oh, wow. And so that was like a big inspiration for Everett's character. And then there was also the Foss Lake Disappearances, where uh, in 1969, three adults vanished without a trace, along with their 1952 Chevy. And it was just kind of like in the middle of the night and no one noticed for like a day or two. And then uh, in that same town, there was like a few other disappearances that came in the next year or two where people disappeared out of nowhere, including their car. But Hmm. sadly, that one was solved. Their cars were found at the bottom of a lake. Um, (laughs) But until that point, it was very much like a UFO conspiracy theory Mm -hmm. story. But it but did inspire this kind of the idea of just like what if people just start disappearing in a little town? Like who would even notice? That was from an article in Vanity Fair. Um, and that was directly from the director referencing those as inspirations. I guess one other random fact that I thought was kind of cool and I really respected. Uh, we, we've talked a lot about how the leads of this movie really were incredible and carry the movie very competently. I guess two times he had to delay shooting to get the schedules right with both the actors. And so he was saying how it would have been easy just to pick somebody else and film the movie as planned. But it, like, he's very happy that he waited like now that it's years later, like it's, it was like, um, it seems like crazy that they even like considered it. That's not exactly what I wanted to say, but I thought it was cool that he was so, so committed to the actors and I think it paid off in Mm -hmm. in a cool way. Yeah. I'm I'm definitely glad that they, uh, they both ended up in the movie. I wonder what I'm assuming it was the girl who had other scheduled. She does seem to be the busiest. Yeah, because I was just looking at her. Exactly. I saw that she was on an episode of Monk, one of my favorite episodes, actually. Oh, um, no way. Do you remember her? Yeah. Well, I remember her her character. I didn't realize it was her. Yeah, um, cool. But she's in Mr. Monk and the Dog. The scene she's in, Mr. Monk goes to Natalie's family reunion. And there's this little girl he's sitting at the table with. And she's like, oh, who are you? And he's like, I'm Natalie's boss. Uh, and she's like, oh, has she ever told you about her other boss, the really weird one? <laughs> or like the crazy one? And he's like, no, I haven't heard of him. <laughs> so it's cool that, like, not only is it a show I like, but it's one of my favorite episodes. And I remember yeah. her. I remember, like, that that scene. 
So it was cool yeah, to that's see cool. that that it ended up being her. And I guess she was on a Disney show, and she was on Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Oh no way! Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I wonder if she was smarter than the adult. Uh, I don't know. I was trying to find a clip of it, but I couldn't. Well, any last thoughts on this, I guess? Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of things. I think a lot of the funny lines are from Everett correcting Faye or, like, making fun of her. Um, There is a few scenes where you realize, I'm not sure exactly what they were trying to show, but where he's he kind of loses his patience with her yeah. or says something that makes her sort of shut down. Um, I thought those that was really interesting. Yeah, um, I kind of felt like it was just to humanize him because he's so cool. But then yeah, you do see that he's also bit. just yeah. Because there, I was get, the, one of the lines I wanted to mention that I made me really laugh was when he um, is taking his radio show on the road and he has his uh, his recorder. Oh, and she's like, "Why not mine?" And, Yes, and they have that thing where he's like, "Mine's professional. Yours is more like a toy." toy. And she's like, yeah. he's like, "And I don't mean that by, I don't mean that to be offensive. I'm just saying." And she's like, "I'm not offended." He's like, "Well, girls seem to get offended by me a lot." And she's like, "Well, maybe mm-hmm. if you weren't such a jerk all the time." <laughs> How about tape recorder? No, no, this one's better. No, not good enough. It's, no, it's fine, but it's not broadcast fine. It's good, but it's, it's more like a toy. I don't mean that in a way to get your feelings hurt. Don't hurt my feelings. Okay, good, because I hurt girls' feelings a lot. You are on a stick with me tonight. And then after that, they're running, and he starts talking to uh, his the recorder, you know, in his radio voice, because he kind of puts on this like old timey radio affect. Yeah, which is he does it very well. But she's like, "Why do you always talk like that on the radio?" He's like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "You do that voice." He's like, "That's just how radio sounds." (laughs) Yeah, leave me alone. I loved. Yeah. We just experienced a blackout after playing that. I'm recording for later in case we got news. Why do you change your voice like that? So like what? When you're on the radio, you always change your voice. Why do you do that? Because that radio sounds. Babe, look, I don't need your judgment right now. It was just great hearing him get like called out for. Uh... Or he says, "Stop judging me." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that just really made me laugh because it was good. Uh, he is very cool, but it was yeah, it was nice seeing her. And I think it just like adds to their chemistry where she's going to keep him. She kind of keeps him grounded. And she's like almost so naively not cool that she like points out how he's trying to be cool, not realizing it's him trying to be cool, kind of. Mm-hmm. So like balances really well, like his cool stuff doesn't work on her because she just is so clueless as to <laughs> what being cool is, <laughs> like how to be cool. Could even, yeah, from the beginning, he sort of. They um just yeah they really want her to be like pretty like a younger naive sort of following him around not knowing like a puppy dog thing yeah that definitely flips by the end by the end she's definitely like taking charge of situations Mm -hmm. and like like she's the one taking off to get to the next place before he's like decided to make an uh like make a move so there is like a fun little arc with her kind of coming out of her shell in her own way. Mm-hmm. yeah this is a fun one i almost want to rewatch it again pretty soon i might because it, it it really scratches an itch that not a lot of movies do yeah I, I remember after i watched it i kept trying to find another good you know alien movie um like really like a good 
alien abduction movie that this kind yeah. of feeling that this gives you. And I couldn't, I couldn't find anything else that was just as engrossing, I guess, or something that gave the same feeling. It's hard to explain the feeling that this movie gives you, but it really just scratches all the itches of the, you know, an alien movie that you want to see. Um, it's almost like a theme park ride where you really get to like delve into a, it's like a really immersive world where you can really lose yourself in the story yeah. in like, not just, not just the story, but like you feel like you're in that little town and it's just a fun, like there's a really cool escapism to it that kind of like uh, reminds me of like, I would say like inherent vice in the way it does a period piece where like, it's not like in your face about being a period piece, but just like allows you to like soak up how that world would feel and like what, what it might be like to have existed in that time, regardless of the alien stuff. Mm -hmm. And if I had to pick two, I think we mentioned, I mentioned this when we talked on the phone, but like signs, I kind of would say could, could pair with this where they're both very like um, more about your imagination imagining the aliens and what's outside than what's actually happening and then a big one uh which i don't think you've seen is fire in the sky which is another movie that's very much about people's story stories about an event and telling you know just like uh, kind of a small town reacting to a weird event and kind of not not nearly as good uh fire in the sky in my opinion but it is like a cult classic and it's based on a true story that's infamous, and so it is. It is a similar ballpark. I'd be very interested to hear what you thought of it. Yeah, I do. I do really want to watch that movie. That reminds me of there was a movie I found after this that I did really like. It's not as good or anything. Yeah, so it's these guys. They're they're astronomers, and they get in their van. Because there's some event happening that they've been tracking. Cosmos? Yes, Cosmos. That is Cosmos. Cosmos, okay, cool. cosmos not Cosmos. There's a difference. Cosmos? Wait, which cosmos. one did I say? I cosmos. think you were saying Cosmos. Like like cosmos. A, the plural of the drink. Oh, uh, interesting. Cosmos. Yeah. Wow. How dare you embarrass me on my show <laughs> like this. Oh, you know, IMDb says more like this, The Vast of Night. Yep, yeah, I just and saw UFO, that. And <laughs> UFO, the one I mentioned. Wow. Oh, cool. But yeah, uh, I suggest, I would recommend that. It's really good. Cool. It I does have it a out. nice, um, and not a nice ending necessarily, but it, there's, a, there's a feeling of wonder that you kind of get from Vast of Night, I think. The, the and kind of crazy, they had no budget. Oh, really? apparently according to imdb i mean it does cool. basically just take place in their van but yeah yeah you should watch that cool i can check it out it looks like I it's streaming on it hulu tonight. on hulu interesting i watched it on amazon oh yeah it's on prime as well it's a okay. few places 2b which is free free v which is also free well then next week i uh, not sure exactly what movie we are doing yet but we'll be back with something else if you're still listening thank you very much please check out our instagram subscribe to us on apple podcasts i need to start doing that again 
and uh thank you for listening see you next week everybody go watch a movie you have to say go watch a movie oh go watch a movie <laughs> <laughs>